The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition of Passion, where just about anything goes. Coming up after 10.15, some of the latest research on sexuality. Who falls asleep first after sex? It's not who you think. And habits of couples who have great sex, plus why mediocre sex can also be great. Uh, That's coming up, but first... Calling's not the only way to connect. The inbox is easy and always open at 514-800. Why don't we kick off the evening with a poem that the uh, Passion Poet submitted. It has nothing to do with sex or relationships. A little political, but it's okay. It's a good way to uh, end the week, nonetheless, with everything that's uh, been going around. I don't know about you, but I've been like glued whenever I can to to news, different news media outlets. Um, I need to turn that off. Uh, the world has reached a turning point, the likes of which we never seen. Worldwide protests and an insane president and a pandemic called COVID-19. The left encourages us to work together, the extreme right trying to pull us apart. We claim to be intelligent beings, yet we allowed the insanity to start. Did we not learn anything from our past? Millions of soldiers paid the highest price. They fought for our peace and freedom, not just in one world war, but twice. It is one minute before midnight. That is where the doomsday clock is now. Is the far right really that insane to risk it all in a final bow? We all have a kind of prejudice. We all hold a little mistrust. We have yet to resolve, evolve beyond this. Yet to evolve is a human must. It's not only up to governments. It is up to you and me. There is no excuse for violence. It's okay just to disagree. Let's hope the next four years are better. Let us heal the cuts and bruises. We all must learn that nobody wins if everybody in the world loses. Thank you. Uh, yes, thank you for that. It's also the same for relationships. If uh, if somebody has to win in a relationship, then then everybody loses. That is the reality. All right. Couple of text messages, not text, but uh, emails, which you can send to me to Lori at drlori.com. Just to note that I am enjoying your show very much, the guest, the poet, and especially you and your advice. I feel for that woman who found out her husband was cheating and separated from him. I may be divorced myself, but it was due to incompatibility, but we were both faithful throughout. We get along very well and there for each other. Just because a relationship or marriage does not work out does not mean you stop caring. I think in her case, it may be understandably very different. She deserves better. For all men who are thinking of cheating or are cheating, be a man and come clean and be honest to your wife, or are you just a coward and a liar too? I might add, it's not just men who cheat, women cheat too. So the message goes out to both. All right, here's a, I'd say a COVID issue problem relationship that we talked about a lot last night, Uh, but here's uh, somebody who wrote in. Uh, Hi, Dr. Lori. We are listeners to your show. My wife is 32. I'm 45. As of the start of the new lockdown restrictions, my wife now works from home, as do I. And we decided we need help before things get worse. Things were great when I was the only one working from home. We saw each other about 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week. Seven hours of that time, we were sleeping. 
So it was great. And one full day a week together. We have been together for five years, married for four. Prior to her working from home, the lovemaking was incredible, averaging about five to six times a week. Since new restrictions, we have made love only two times, and it was average. We used to have one television for our condo. The new restrictions started Christmas Eve. We now have two TVs. Uh, one, I bought one on Amazon because I was losing the TV rights and was forced to sit in my office chair for another two hours to watch TV or play video games or attend GA meetings on Zoom. So I bought a TV for the bedroom. Mistake number one, she has the TV in the living room for Netflix or NA meetings. Since New Year's Eve, we have drifted apart. We love each other and we agreed to write you for help. Any suggestions? So, um... Look, I, I think we have to understand that we are all under pressure. All relationships uh, are feeling it. The more time you spend together, like too much togetherness breeds contempt. So yes, you can get on each other's nerves. I think it's really important that you make a plan together to figure out your alone time also. I know sometimes it might not be so easy if you're in a, a, a you know, a smaller uh, space. It might be difficult for two people working from home at the same time. Many homes don't have two separate offices. I get that. Uh, but you've got, you have to, you guys have to negotiate this and it's okay. Like you, you, you can say to each other, look, this whole pandemic thing is, 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 is weighing on everybody. And, you know, we are all in this and we're not alone in having our issues. Let's work together on this. Let's not get you know, you have to give each other a pass for the little annoyances because we here, and I talked about this last night, we can blame the outside for this. We can blame what's going on and the lockdown and everything else. So it requires during these times for you to be extra patient, extra compassionate, extra kind. If you can't figure this out, then getting help and, and maybe having somebody else like a therapist help you out. We're all taking calls, all very similar kinds of situations that we, uh, that we are seeing. Please don't forget that you love each other. Don't forget that it, it, this will pass, not in the near, near future, but it will, it will pass. So try and just practice tolerance, Zen, breathing exercises, anything to just calm everything down. You're allowed to say to your uh, partner, like, Hey, you know, let's make some dates so that we can be intimate. We don't want to lose that part of our relationship. It's how we feel close together. And, and that will uh, certainly help, but it's possible that the you know, find out what's going on with her. Is she overly stressed because she's working from home? Is it much harder for her now? So there's got to be like a, a, a reason for this. So I think please be patient with this and not pressure your partner too much. Don't pressure her for sex. Instead, be compassionate and find out what's going on. Like what's, what's happening with you? What's going on with you? Uh, are you more stressed than usual, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's how I would address it. Just remember the words, compassion. Compassion brings passion in a relationship. The more compassion, the better it is. All right. Question here. Whenever my girlfriend and I have, uh, have, 
have very sexually active weekends, she usually gets internal bruising and frequent UTIs. I've learned to hold back and not go so deep or rough, but she sometimes wants me to be rough with her. I love our our active sex life, but don't want her to always be on antibiotics for her UTIs. Plus, I've read that frequent UTIs can be damaging. If she takes her antibiotics every night as a preventative during weekends, we plan to be active. She rarely, if ever, has a UTI. I love her and see a long future together with her. So what can be done, if anything, to prevent UTIs or at least not force her to be on antibiotics every time? So I've had this question before, and I remember talking to a gynecologist um, about this, and they do recommend prophylactic antibiotics like a, a, a as a preventative um, measure. It seems to be the best way to avoid uh, recurrent UTIs. Obviously, uh, some best practices in, include uh, post-coital uh, urinating, right? Go to the bathroom right after um, sex and everything else you're doing is, is what you should be doing. It, we don't know why some people just seem to be more prone uh, than others to to UTI. So what you're doing is fine. Just add in the prophylactic antibiotics, and that probably will um, will help. Texter writes: Find fun things to do together, and find things to do apart. For the person who wrote in, be more compassionate towards each other. You may find that even things as little as going for a nice walk outside, as a change of scenery, can help. Don't let cabin fever get the best of you. Uh, that's right. It's cabin fever. with Dr. Lori Batido on CJD 800. Texter writes in, my senior parents are playing a really cool version of I Spy that goes beyond their condo. It's more like a moment in time and a place. Sounds like fun. I think that's great. I just don't think I would have the memory for it. <laughs> if it was a time, you know, long ago, I would need a whole lot of hints. All right, who do you think falls asleep first? Men or women after sex? Interesting. You would think intuitively, and what we hear is that men do, but guess what? A team of evolutionary psychologists led by Gordon Gallup of the University at Albany State University of New York found that women are more likely to fall asleep after sex than men. So here's the rationale. This is a piece written by Dr. Mark Travers. The rationale is because it increases the chances of conception. So the phrase sex is nature's sleeping pill is often used to capture the idea that sexual intercourse may have sedative properties, but there has not been much research on this effect. They found that women were more likely than men to report falling asleep after sexual intercourse and that post-copulatory somnolence, sleepiness after sex, was enhanced by orgasm in both men and women. So you're likely to feel sleepier or sleepy if you've had um, an orgasm. So he goes on to write, while this may this finding may seem out of step with common sense, there's actually quite a bit of logic behind it. Here's how the theory goes. Humans evolved an upright p posture and bipedal movement as a means to navigate their environment in an optimally efficient way. 
One of the downsides of an upright posture is that it puts the female reproductive system at a downward angle with respect to gravity. This is not ideal for retaining sperm and by extension, maximizing the chances of conception during sex. To overcome this problem, evolutionary psychologists note that missionary position has become a cross-cultural universal, but they argue there's another mechanism through which evolution has enhanced the odds of conception by imbuing seminal fluid with sedative-like properties. This encourages women to remain lying down after sex, which allows more sperm to be retained in the reproductive tract and further increases the chance of conception. So to test this logic, the researchers recruited 316 undergraduates to take part in a survey on sexual routines. They only looked at the heterosexual uh, couples and those that had obviously experiences in in sexuality. Um, They looked at those who had sex at night rather than daytime hours. And they were looking at wanting to understand the after uh, after sex sleep routines. They filled out a questionnaire. They looked at contraceptive use, of course, uh, because if it was condoms, it wouldn't make sense, right? Because the sperm wouldn't get into the woman. Uh, So they were looking at who typically falls asleep after penile vaginal sex sooner. How often do they fall asleep after experiencing an orgasm? And how often do you fall asleep without experiencing an orgasm? So both men and women reported being quicker to fall asleep after sex when experiencing an orgasm. However, with or without orgasm, women were more likely to report falling asleep sooner after sex than men. No gender differences in the sedative properties of masturbation. So only when women were inseminated did they report a greater likelihood of falling asleep after sex, which strengthens the argument that seminal fluid contains sedative-like properties. doesn't say anything about whether you, if you drink the, the seminal fluid or it's absorbed through the vagina. No, no mention was made of that, but hey, that could be something that can certainly be looked into. Uh, I think they use moments within their own time, like standing at the altar. Oh, about the I spy. Yes, it's kind of fun. There's a lot of things uh, you can do with that, I suppose. Uh, Let's talk about the habits of couples who have great sex. This was in uh, WebMD, which I happen to like. They often have some some good stuff and and it's quality information that they usually put up with with, um, research background and, and such. So let you decide, think, listen to all of these and tell me which ones you practice. Okay. Uh, so habits of couples who have great sex, they define sex broadly. Couples who are sexually satisfied tend to understand that it's about more than just intercourse and studies show that they usually get intimate with each other at least weekly. A regular schedule isn't a prescription for instant bliss, but getting physically close to your partner with intercourse, no intercourse, whatever it is, can be a sign that you two are in a healthy place. Even if it means lying naked in each other's arms, that is part of it. Another habit that uh, couples who have great sex exhibit is they get educated. 
Knowledge can equal sexual bliss. Learning more about each other's physical erotic zones, how much stimulation you need, what turns you on can take your sex life to new heights. And there's more to it than just that. Also getting educated about the changes that happen to us as we age. So if you're an older couple, those things also um, make a difference. Uh, Habits of couples who have great sex, they touch. Physical contact is a powerful tool that builds connection and trust. We, as, as therapists, we always recommend things like sensate focus and and other techniques and exercises that really focus on the touch uh, instead of focusing on the goal uh, of orgasm, for example, or a goal of penetration. So practicing sensual touch certainly helps couples get closer and make intimacy more pleasurable. They confide in each other Studies show that couples who aren't honest about what they do and don't enjoy in the bedroom are more likely to feel dissatisfied. So they tell each other, if if your libido is lagging or you have trouble getting to orgasm, tell your partner it's okay. If you feel self-conscious about your body or anything makes you uncomfortable, tell your partner, share it. Uh, couples who have great sex also use therapy when necessary, right? Sessions with a, a certified or a sex therapist, somebody who can help you, guide you, help you with your sexual communication, etc., is also really, uh, really good. These um, these couples also uh, stay flexible. In other words, they understand that sex has no normal What you like, how often you want it, how important it is to you is different for everyone and at different times of your relationship. So your libido and your priorities can change over time with age, physical health, pressures of daily life, pregnancy, babies. You can go on and on with the list. Couples who stay curious and flexible about their sex needs tend to feel better about themselves, which in turn paves the way for a more fulfilling sex life. We're talking about the habits of couples who have great sex. Of course, this is one's a no-brainer. They make time for sex, right? And they make time for sex and they make time to develop and to get each other aroused. As we get older, it might take longer to respond to sexual um, stimulation. So set aside ample time to enjoy sex with each other and take your time. Also, uh, couples who have great sex also experiment, uh, trying out different positions. Doesn't have to be anything major, just a different position, a different move, a different touch, a different stimulation. Those are all things that uh, can help, right? These are, they can be just uh, new uh, new techniques. As somebody writes, avoid using the same move every time, thinking it gets the same response every time. It's like food. You don't want the same protein every night. You, that's right on the money. Exactly. Uh, successful couples in the bedroom also cater to their partners. Research shows that couples who care about satisfying their partner and who take joy from the other person's pleasure are happier in the bedroom. This might mean having sex more often than you're used to, doing it at different times than is normal for you, 
or acting out your partner's sexual fantasy. So you go beyond your own needs and care about your partner's needs as well. When both people are doing that, it turns out great. Uh, They seek gratification. In other words, practice makes perfect. When you do things that increase the feel-good endorphins in your body, whether it's sex, exercise, laughing, any activity that brings you joy, you build and beef up the response pathway that helps you feel aroused more easily. So that means doing things in your life that bring you joy. Making art, that's mine, right? That one brings me joy. Exercising can bring a lot of people joy. Laughing, dancing, all of those things. All the things you can do outside of the bedroom will bring you joy in the bedroom as well. Uh, Successful couples in the bedroom also use tools, lubricants, sex toys. They work it. They work it. Researchers at the University of Toronto found that couples who believe that hard work and effort, not finding a soulmate, is the key to a great sex life and enjoyed a happier, intimate relationship. So hard work and effort is what we require. These successful couples also limit porn watching. They limit their porn because, of course, we know porn sets unrealistic expectations of what real sex is like, and it can for some hurt the, um, relationship. So, uh, they limit porn. They don't obsess about orgasm. Orgasm is not the goal of every single encounter. And finally they read each other. They are able to plug in to their, uh, partner, knowing when their partner, reading the cues, when their partner is ready, when their partner is aroused, etc. So those are the habits of couples who have great sex. Coming up, we'll talk about how mediocre sex can also be wonderful, plus your stupid sex story of the night that was contributed by one of our our listeners. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. So this uh, listener wrote me an email with her embarrassing story, completely anonymous. This goes back to the days of ICQ. Do you remember that? That those were the, the beginnings of Messenger, basically. I was 17, and even though I was a young, horny girl, I kept myself a virgin until 20. I was on ICQ and began chatting with a 16-year-old Montreal guy. The chatting got pretty hot pretty fast, and I will say it was lots of fun. We decided we were going to exchange some nude pics, no face though. I created a new email for this because my name was in my Yahoo email. We actually had ICQ sex looking at each other's photos. The ICQing went on for weeks, and it was not until then did we reveal where in Montreal we lived. At the time, I was living in Cote St. Luke, and he lived in Hampstead, and we decided to meet, and we laid down ground rules. Meet in the parking lot at a McDonald's. He did not own a car, but said he would borrow a friend's car. I would show him my boobs, and we and he would have his penis already out in his car, and it would go no further than that, and we would part ways. It was an adventure. Nothing more. He told me what he what he would be driving, and we set a time we set a time of nine p.m. on a Friday night. I wore a loose shirt, no bra, and I was off. 
I spotted his car in the back of the parking, dark spot, no other cars around. In hindsight, that could have been dangerous. I hope you know that. I parked in the front, uh, put on a baseball cap and sunglasses to keep as discreet as possible. As I approached his car, I saw he had tinted windows and I got a little hesitant. I kept walking and started to unbutton my shirt. I guess this was his cue to put his window down. He had the seat reclined all the way and there it was, erect and out, and my boobs were there for him to see. I turned my head to take a look at him and I knew him. Remember, all of this had been done without them having seen pictures, actual pictures of each other. I did not only know him, it was my cousin. He did not recognize me and I was in shock. I just said, okay, we're done. See ya and walked away. I could hear his car start and he just left. When I got back home, I got on ICQ and he was there, told me I had great boobs and wanted to have ICQ sex again. I told him I had to get to sleep because I have to get up early. Asked me if I had fun. I just said, yeah, he wanted to do it again. And I said, maybe, even though it was really no. He never knew it was me and he never knew I knew who he was. A few days later, my brother, who is really good friends with him, told me all about what happened to his cousin. My brother was was on ICQ too, so I guess it could have been, it could have easily been more, quote, all in the family. I have this secret to this day. Right, imagine if it had been your brother you were conversing with all this time and that happened. How mortifying, how mortifying is that? And just another short, embarrassing or stupid sex story from uh, someone else who, uh, their entry. My girlfriend in the seventies had an apartment with almost no furniture. She was laying on her back on a mattress on the floor. I was preparing to enter her when her young puppy with razor sharp incisors clamped down on a dangling appendage, which resulted in me screaming like a banshee. Ow. She, from her vantage point, couldn't understand what had just transpired. Needless to say, we had a good laugh afterwards. A good laugh, sure, after the pain, uh, after you were over the pain. Holy crap. All right, the passion poet writes a poem about women falling asleep. Women fall asleep after sex first. Us guys really don't care. It's not your mind we are after. It's your body we want you to share. So get as comfy as you wish. Just roll on your side, put your knees up a little, and in it you will slide. What? And in you we it will slide. We will give you a little kiss, maybe your breasts a little tug, and you will know if it was good for us if you get a thank you and a hug. Just kidding. You better be just kidding. It doesn't sound like you got to have a little more consent than that. You know, ask, do you want to? (laughs) Uh, And somebody wants to know, please explain the allure of collecting used panties and worn socks. You know, I wish I could explain it uh, with something logical and scientific. I just can't. Uh, I know that there is a huge business out there. Women are making tons of money by selling their worn underwear and maybe their socks. And there was one woman who was selling worn shoes and there is a market for it. They are making money because there is a market for it. But why? That's the big question. These are, uh, you're talking about uh, people who have a particular fetish. There are men who have panty fetishes, uh, dirty female panties. I remember seeing one who who used to 
steal panty pa- like panties from women's like laundry baskets. He happened to be a worker in homes, so he so he had access and would literally steal them out of the uh, out of the pantry. Another one would take them off the the line. The the those were cleaned, of course, but nonetheless. So when you get to that level, you got to get some help because you're you're then going into illegal territory. But uh, they get aroused. How it begins. It's anybody's guess. Like the pairing gets done at some point. It's there. There really is no good explanation for how somebody develops this kind of fetish or another kind of fetish. We just know that uh, foot fetishes are are very common. People who like uh, women's undergarments and like to sniff them that seems to be quite common. That's about all I can, uh, I, you can look it up for sure and you'll find different, uh, different perspectives on it. Mostly probably forums of guys who really enjoy this kind of thing, but very hard to find an explanation that actually makes sense. Uh, mediocre sex is wonderful. According to Dr. S.A.L. Romanelli wrote an article who says there's tremendous pressure to have electrifying earth shattering sex at every encounter. The failure to experience this can leave both partners feeling like, um, failures. All this pressure creates unrealistic sexual expectations because in every committed long-term relationship, mediocre sex is inevitable. Do you agree? This is what he says. Sooner or later in every relationship, sex will become somewhat average, unsatisfying, and perhaps even disappointing. This is a fact. And when it happens, couples feel shame. They feel something is wrong with them. They start blaming each other, reading self-help books, counseling, or they open up their marriage to more sexual partners. Sometimes couples are sure that mediocre sex is a sign that they shouldn't be together because they have lost the spark or they are not that compatible. But the most common reaction is avoidance. It's either full on hot sex or nothing, which uh, is quite sad. The solution, he says, good old garden variety maintenance, maintenance sex. It might not be the hottest erotic encounter of your life, but it keeps the connection there. The dopamine levels up and it enables a healthy sublimated expression for, um, tension, ensures touch, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, um, it is, he's, he's, his contention, it is better than no sex. And it doesn't mean it will always be like that. Just think about the, what I said earlier about the habits of couples who have great sex and implement those. And then you'll have, uh, only occasionally mediocre or maintenance sex and the rest will be great and it won't matter. This is Passion on CJAD 800. A couple of texts here. Prince Charles was a used panty collector. Even royalty has its kinks. That's funny. They never mentioned that on The Crown. Uh, I guess it's something they would omit, although I don't want to spread rumors because I have no idea. I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> Somebody wrote mini-money. What's that? Alimony? That is just a pittance. No, it's mini ceremony is what it actually stands for. I'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, I am sure if you list the reasons of what bad sex is, women's list would be long, men's list very short. And for great sex, men's list would be longer than women's. Okay, guess we could maybe put that out there and see. So um, 
a health uh, a health authority in Australia has advised couples to keep one and a half meters away from each other when engaging in sexual activity. Lockdown and measures introduced to keep people safe during the pandemic have meant people have to keep their distance from one another. And unless you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, sex has been hard to come by. But New South Wales health officials have said that it doesn't mean you can't have sex at all. So they got into the sex business too. On their website, Play Safe, they say you can still enjoy mutual masturbation with another person. The site says right on there, One method of mutual masturbation is the act of pleasuring yourself in front of a partner. While some people consider mutual masturbation, and this is on their site, hand jobs, fingering, etc., as mutual masturbation, what we're talking about here involves no contact with the other person. The safest form of sex during COVID-19 is solo sex. If you're living with your partner, sex is probably okay as you are you are already sharing space and being in close quarters. Sadly, sex with someone outside of your household or bubble still carries risk and is not recommended due to the 1.5 meter physical distancing in place. But masturbating with a partner as long as you keep your distance is the next best thing. However, there are a few things you need to take into consideration. If you're thinking about giving it a go, such as keeping your distance, making sure neither of you have symptoms, and making sure any sex toys you both use are clean. The site also recommends wearing a mask while you do it. I read that and I said, what's the point? Is it worth it? (laughs) I don't know. Would you go to those lengths? I'm guessing people are not following those kinds of safety guidelines when it comes to sexuality. That's just my guess. I'm pretty sure of that. But nonetheless, it's on the government website, as it was pointed out in other government, uh, like I think in New York had a guideline for it and, and, and things like that. So what's a mini-money? This is one of the latest, hottest marriage trends. So sadly, um, you know, the $55 billion wedding industry has been turned on on their heads this year. So gatherings, these kinds of gatherings, uh, especially these sacred and beloved rites of passage have been put on hold in most cases due to social distancing protocols and the need to keep each other safe, plus lockdown measures and everything like that. Nevertheless, couples still want and need to formally tie the knot. So these strange times have given rise to a now popular trend, the mini-money. Though not entirely new, these small weddings that were once a niche custom are now happening all the time. Of course, it makes perfect sense. When hosting a mini-money, only a few people gather in person while others can attend virtually to see the couples recite their vows. For brides-to-be who always dreamed of a giant gathering with hundreds of loved ones, this may sound a little defeating, but it can certainly be a fun and worthwhile celebration and offers a much more intimate way to start a marriage. I'm all for these mini-monies, by the way, all for it. Uh, To help out anyone thinking about having a mini-money in our current unprecedented times or even afterwards, uh, they give you some advice here about how to host one. So basically, a mini-money is a mini-ceremony. No hard and fast rules about how small it has to be to qualify, but they say something around a dozen or so people is a good baseline. And these are the guests you will host in person to witness and celebrate, although a Zoom call or other other video feed is set up so that loved ones from all over can be part of the 
festivities. I've been to a few mini monies, but not not marriages these days through Zoom. I've I've already been to like three bar mitzvahs on Zoom. These days, due to uh, COVID-19 and the safety factors and the restrictions on the size of gatherings, and I mean, this is why it's um, a trend. So if you want to get married responsibly and you don't want to delay things, then this is a great option. Um, they are inexpensive, right? Much, much less expensive than, say, your big ass wedding, right? It can be done in a backyard, a garden, a nearby, uh, a nearby park. So of course you're not spending the tens of thousands on this one day, uh, event. And people are saying that they love the intimacy of these mini, um, weddings, you know, like, okay, having a lot of people at a wedding can for some couples, maybe take away from the true purpose of forging a lifelong bond and beginning their lives together. I think it makes the marriage and the ceremony, whether it's a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, something like that, it makes it that much more intimate and meaningful, actually, because it's not based on the party that you're having. It's based on the rite, that rite of passage, that 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 sacred ceremony, right? And so I think it's... Uh, I think it's a great idea. I don't know for for you guys. I know a lot of people have put off their weddings. There were a lot of people who were set to get married in uh, in 2020 and 2021, and they've just put them off. But how, you know, we don't know how long this is, is going to go. And holding on to having such a big to-do, ask yourselves, like, why do we need that? You know, is is it that important to to have a huge thing. So, and, and the people, by the way, that I've spoken to, well, the, the ones that I have attended anyway, have loved the experience. You know, it's not the same. It's an adjustment. Yes. But, and everybody attending like through zoom, uh, it's, it was very touching still. And we were able to be part of this, uh, this ritual. A texter writes, love your show. I met someone on a dating site, lots of texting, and now very long phone conversations. We have plenty in common and we talk about all kinds. Now, how does one determine when sharing mutual masturbating? Please elaborate. So how do you start introducing, hey, why don't you masturbate? And I'll masturbate at the same time and we can talk to each other or see each other at the same time. I mean, this is what people are, once it gets to the level of intimacy where you're ready to share that, because it is, if you ask me, like masturbating in front of someone else, it's a bit of a vulnerable feeling, right? It can be anyway. So, uh, but you want to get around different things. Like you have to, if you want to find a way to be sexual, this might be the way. I think you move into that discussion once you start talking about sex, once you start talking to each other about what you would, you know, what would you do to each other if you were together in, uh, in real life. And you're just not going to spring it on the person on the other end of your call out of the blue. It's something that you will definitely uh, talk about. Texter writes in, but my Johnson doesn't measure one and a half meters. <laughs> yeah, uh, thankfully it doesn't. Thankfully, <laughs> it all goes to hell if you're a good aimer and can shoot six feet. Oh, please. Uh, make it a little contest, uh, why don't you? 
Anyway, guys, I want to remind you, if you have your own embarrassing sex story, make it anonymous. You can send it to me anonymously through my website uh, to Lori at drlori.com. It is for our stupid sex story segment. Somebody had suggested this last week and we got all week. We've been getting some uh, uh, personal stories and it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. So uh, please share your embarrassing stories. Remember, it's completely anonymous. So you tell me what you want. (laughs) No names. I promise you. Uh, Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I really appreciate you. Truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart. Thanks to Nicole Proano, our technical producer. Linda DeLisi, our passion researcher. If you want to connect with me, uh, easiest is through my website, drlaurie.com. That's D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com. On that website, you have access to all the past shows. If you click on the passion radio tab information about my book the sex bible for people over 50 and uh my two ted my two ted talks on sexuality are also on uh, on my uh, my site if you have the iheart app you can also get all the best of the shows on cjd just go to the cjd page and get all those podcasts coming up next here on cjd we bring you the ctv national news have a great rest of the evening A fabulous weekend. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.